Hi everyone. So this is the first podcast chat uh, from from myself, and we're on this journey to discover the secret sauce to successful corporate innovation and startup creation. And what I really want to do here is tear through all of this conflicting and confusing chatter that steers us into inertia and want to really dig down into the real reasons why innovation is important and also difficult. Through this podcast, we're going to reveal all of those ingredients and flavors that blend to make this sauce um, with the help of my guests. And what we're looking into is innovation strategy, corporate innovation, startup and venture creation, and early stage startup investments. And I'm really happy to be joined by by Mark, he's a dear friend and really happy that he's been able to, to come on today and have a chat about your experiences. I'll let you give an introduction, Mark, because everyone's dying to know who you are. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so said Mark Huxley, uh, my long work in life, which is 45 years coming up this year, um, has been principally around the Lloyd's insurance market, so certainly the insurance industry and that that one market um a, a play in a few acts the first the first act was working within lloyd's on underwriting syndicates and being an insurance technician and then in the late 90s uh, with a, a, a burning entrepreneurial desire left the corporate life to to set up what well i didn't realize at the time was going to be the first ever a whole raft and number of businesses i've set up in mean times but that business principally uh, aimed to put some management services back into into the Lloyd's insurance community. Well, it, it's not important to this conversation. Probably what is important was I'd spent my corporate life mainly within an organisation that had grown from broadly 50 people to 2,000 plus people in the, the dozen, 13 years that I worked there. And in setting the business up, I got the business to scale very quickly. And I think it surprised a lot of people that I was able to do that. The fact that I'd been tutored how to do it wasn't something I'd ever, ever shared. So having done that successfully uh, and grown it to, to some considerable scale in its own life while I was there, and it's gone on and is now five, six times larger than when I left it, um, I gained a reputation as somebody that instinctively knew how to do that. So um, I've spent the second act of, uh, of this, this short play um, really kind of navigating around other organisations, helping them discover what they want to be. I guess if I have a sweet spot in the, the work I do, it's kind of around growth strategies and taking generally kind of emerging businesses to scale and then helping those scaled businesses turn from, as I describe it, a big, small business to a small, big business. So changing the whole culture that goes on with it and then more laterally um, mentoring folks. Um, back in 2017, a couple of important things happened in my life. Um, one, eating my own dinner as, a, as an entrepreneur, I, I invested in a startup fintech business in insurance and insurtech business, uh, which was um, very important to me. And, and I'm still a shareholder in that. And it's just done its series A. So that broadened the horizon in, in one area for me. Probably more importantly, I decided the time was right to step back from my kind of public life working in other people's corporations. Oh, sorry, working with other people's corporations and, and running larger businesses to do some stuff for me. And the, the third part of that, and I think we'll talk about it at some point, is um, I, I was invited to become in the City of London's language a freeman of the what was then Guild of Entrepreneurs, now the Company of Entrepreneurs, which for those that navigate around the City of London and understand the iconic historic livery company movement, that's where the entrepreneurs sit. But rather than being a thousand years old, it's seven, eight years old. Um, 
and on its journey taking its place in the centre of the city. So that gave me an opportunity to to start giving back to the city, but actually more important, get a really broader landscape about entrepreneurship, whole different sectors. Got me much into mentoring, which is a, a big thread of our, our friendship with each other, uh, where we, we, we do things together. And really just kind of get under the skin of, of what, what really drives innovation. And uh, I've got some quite clear views about that, which I think is what we're going to explore yeah. today. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's just very impressive, Mark. I, as I said previous times before, I could listen to you all day and um, your uh, achievements are certainly very impressive. And I would love to dig more into one topic in particular that, that you hold dear. And that's all about mission uh, vision and and values, which I think from our discussions has been a very clear motivator in your success, but also when you've built these startup companies, mentored and been in a, a leadership position in corporates, that this has been quite a big topic on your mind. And I just want to kind of dig into that because it's such an important part of um, innovation strategy and startup uh, building. So why is mission vision and values so important and why should it take a priority for any initiatives or startup growth yeah sure sure so i mean i mean the why it's important really kind of quickly and succinctly is very much around the fact that people that buy things from somebody generally the subconscious motivator that brings them to buy is that they've made an emotional connection with that organization Often they don't know why they've made that connection, but it just sits in there. So again, if you think about some, some kind of obvious um, metaphors or examples of that, you know, buying motor cars, people just get instinctively drawn to a certain brand or mark of, of motor vehicle. Why? But it kind of suits them and it feels like it, it, it gets in their lifestyle and much of the way these things will be advertised would do that, you know, and it builds that, that life spirit, gets the pulse racing a little bit more. Um, you look at you look at tech, you know, and not so, probably so much now, but certainly take a decade off. You had, you know, the, the Apple faction, and you had the the Microsoft faction, and one hated the other intensely, but they couldn't quite work out why they hated each other. But actually, I'm an Apple man, and I love all that, and and I, and I always hold an organisation like Apple out, where the you know the, the values of that business was was very much driven by design led you know, user intuitivity that, that, that would drive that on and, and that's what they would do so encapsulating that in a slightly different way that to me is and and definitely when I started my first business you know it was a reasonably kind of functional transactional business but I, I wanted it to improve the life of my clients my clients were insurance companies and the, the improvement was you know, giving them a better level of service mm. giving them a a value add that they couldn't do for themselves. Something actually kind of bizarre in, in insurance in the way it churns sometimes, but something which kind of created a bit of delight, created a little bit of, well, actually, you know, something bad might've happened, but I want to stay with these people. It was around claims. So that, that was why that was important in there. And that, that, that taught me very early on the power of, if you're, if you're improving something and people can identify it, then, then you know, there's a, there's a great kind of, lexicon of of things that you can you can do with that business mm. bizarrely and it may it may seem bizarre that I, I i don't read a huge amount of business books um but those i i do read some resonate very deeply and at that time one that i did read purely out of curiosity was um ben and jerry's um called running a double dip business and it was yeah. how to run a values-led organization 
And I, it just sounded bizarre, just like everyone else, I like Ben and Jerry's ice cream and yeah, anyone that makes a, <laughs> makes ice cream in kind of the USA's coldest state, you know, makes a success of it, because there's yeah. something going on. But actually, the more important bit, and the book is still in print, I mean, well, it's 25-odd years old now, that they, they just wanted to run an organisation where they could use something as, as functional as ice cream, but actually use it as a power of social change. Mm. So they would they would use you know, early fair trade before fair trade was fashionable and food miles were fashionable you know they they they, they would take you know, fair trade products so they would look down the supply chain to the farmers and make sure that they were being looked after they would often seek out the employees of the organization uh, of their franchises out of underserved communities and bring them in so dni before dni was 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 ever thought of um internally and i just a bit always loved yeah they would look out for the staff and the staff well-being so they had a corporate clown who actually was a, a, an occupational psychologist that would walk around and if they looked at someone they looked a bit sad on the desk you know they try and cheer them up make them look blue and animal or whatever they would do and and just kind of really care about what went on and, and that, that struck me deep and it struck me a lot lot deeper than i think i gave it credit for at the time and it was quite life-changing and it made me realize that any organization that that can do that well is something where the customers will buy into it. And, and again, simple truisms that, that go around the world. You can't please all of the people all of the time, so it's not gonna be for everybody. But actually, if you understand it, and if they become the values and the authenticity of what drives your business, mm. then you will naturally find yourself leaning towards a customer base that will have a natural sense of loyalty to you because you, you cross-correlate with each other. Yeah. If you don't do that, and there's nothing wrong in doing that. You just become, you know, just a big supermarket, you know, and how many variations of baked beans do you want to take off a tin? At the end of the day, they're all got baked beans in, they're all vaguely the same, but, you know, it's just a just a transaction. So I I used to, as you will tell as we go through this conversation, I, I talk in metaphors a lot. I used to use a tailoring metaphor and saying, look, you, you come to my business, you, you're buying a bespoke suit. You know, you're going to Savile Row, you're buying something which is made for you, tailored for you. It's going to work for you. It's not cheap. It's not the cheapest, but you will get the value that you want out of it. And if that's not right for you, great. Go to somebody else. Go to one of the bigger scale companies, and you know, and, and like you got a Marks and Spencer's device suit, and that's fine. It's a one size fits most, you know, and it's going to be fine. It'll be functional, but you won't really get the value out of that relationship. So, seems- so that that's what kind of drove on the at the outset. I think where that then took me in my life and a, a big chunk of the middle part of this, this having set many companies up was I actually set some marketing businesses up around the insurance sector and it was a, a combination of my kind of subject matter expertise of insurance and as a business owner and knowing what makes insurance tick aligned to um, the, the particular guy I set the business up with who was a very very strong marketeer so he knew the what to do didn't always know the why to do it mm. so the alchemy of our our two minds coming together was was a really kind of powerful thing and the interesting kind of uh, time around there was it was about the, the midst of the first dot bomb uh, dot, dot com boom mm. and there was a book written by a guy called robert jones called the big idea and yep. the basic premise of the book was you know why virgin atlantic not ba you know why waitrose not, not sainsbury's you know why john lewis not Debenhams? and when it boiled down it was because introducing mission vision and values it was because those organizations they had a one thing that they wanted to do Mm. and the one thing was often a philosophical spiritual cultural thing that they wanted the the business to be known for and be marked by that meant that they could go out 
and it always gave them a, a kind of philosophical coat hanger to bring whatever they did in the business back to that central thing. Is it adding something to this value chain that we feel we need to be here? And I think, you know, armed with that knowledge, you know, those listening or watching, watching this going off after, you walk into somewhere and, and, and suddenly you start recognising that that's why it fits for you and, and that's why you want to be you know, attached to it. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in you know, high-performing financial services, the kind of area I go in, or you're you like coffee shops, you know, you're going to go to a cafe area, you're going to go to Costa, you're going to go to Starbucks, really go independent. And it's just in your own mind, why am I coming to this place? And it's interesting when you then, as I did for the, the time of the marketing business, you start liking that back as to how do you actually deliver that to organisations? So I want to, it's a great story, and I think that it's really impactful, but I want to just dive into a bit of the, um, the understanding that corporate innovators, C-suite uh, and others can, and, and obviously in, a, in the insurance industry, financial markets, uh, very old business. Uh, it's, it's a, it has a rich history, uh, but things don't change easily. And some of these mission, vision and values get lost and sometimes they are hard to to change into something that is um, fitting and impactful. So, I would just love to get some insight on your experiences in that, mm. that atmosphere and how you've created your own company in in uh, the claims area, but also in the wider insurance market. How you've brought that change to be focused on mission and vision, and how that's influenced change in the market um, from your perspective. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So I, again, let's start with another metaphor. You know, I, I, I work in a, a world of highly specialised insurance organisations, the so-called what they call specialty insurance market. So you walk around the EC3 postcode in the city, which is where Lloyd's is and, and the surrounding streets of it, and you'll find all of those folks in there. Massively important to the city economy, 27% of the city's GDP comes from that one sector. But actually, when you look at it, and when you look at the the nature of these businesses and you, you look at kind of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. I liken them much to the freezer cabinet in a supermarket and vanilla ice cream that you wander up and they all look I'm sorry, there's so many ice cream metaphors here. <laughs> you eat all of ice cream, Mark. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you walk up and, and all, all the pots look different and they all look really attractive. And again, you go back to that, what's drawing me to each pot. But actually, truthfully, when you take the lid off, they're all vanilla, mm. i.e. they're all pretty bland. They all do the same things. There's not a lot you can between them, but you can put between them. When you, again, the insurance industry which is about managing risk. There becomes a conservatism of that risk that you know, I want to go down a narrow channel where I feel mm. as safe as I can be. I don't want to be out on, on extremes. So that just drives down a, a lack of imagination that, to your point, gets into the corporate mindset so it's that safer to say no than say yes mm. it's safer not to challenge that status quo and keep a repeating profit mm. which is fine but that only lasts for so long because if, if you're not then evolving in that greater society within which you are trading and you remain relevant to them you start becoming irrelevant mm. and that i'm afraid is when you look at many many institutions and i'm not going to pick on the insurance industry i would just pick on you know, larger, aged institutions. Yep. They've kind of forgotten what it was that they stood for, and they kind of forgotten why it is that they got out of bed every day to do what they were doing. So in a direct way, uh, and, you know, in the small, modest way, of, as I go around my, my work and life with these folks, mm. what, I, what I try to reawaken them within them is, why is what they're doing important to them and the people around them? And whether that's internal 
stakeholders, whether that's you know, physical shareholders in the business, or equally, and obviously more importantly, externally to the, the clients and customers that they, they want to work with. What is it that's going to move people in, in their direction and not the direction of, of other people? And you get the classic, you know, that, well, we're more professional, we're better at what we do, you know, we're proactive, well, I mean, all these, the, the great marketing buzz that comes around. But you think, well, no, but actually they're table stakes and they're, they're not really what's setting you aside. And if you, if you look at, there is a, an academic drawing, which is basically a triangle of the hierarchy of brand. And the closer you are to the, the peak of the, the triangle, so the more you are getting to what really is important to people, it is mission, vision, values, cause, purpose, all of that stuff that's going to create that emotional connection with people, not the transaction that sits at the bottom of it, that you know, we're, we're bigger, better, faster, cheaper, whatever it is that you want to say. That, that's not what's important to customers. It's are you in that trustworthiness of them investing their time, their money and their business with you, as opposed to going to all of these other vanilla ice creams that, that are sitting on that, that metaphorical shelf. And that's the bit that gets forgotten. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to say, I think if I get just a wee bit soapboxy for a second, if you, you'll indulge <laughs> me, that the city is a much regulated place now. And that regulation has driven out much of the kind of entrepreneurial spirit that naturally lived in the city as I joined it. Certainly as a, as a you know, much younger man in, you know, in the last century. <laughs> and, and the city, the city has become full of very, very clever people, mm. but it sometimes can lack smart people that sit in there and a fine balance of a good, in my opinion, a good business and, a, and something which is going to get that, that right mission, vision and values is something where it blends the smart people helping the clever people who create the platform to make sure that, that the business is, is sustainable, robust and profitable, mm. actually create something which feels like it's innovative, feels like it's adding something to a value. And actually, if there is any period in, in our history where this is more relevant today than it's ever been, it is encapsulated in those three letters of E, S and G. So if you look at what's driving the corporate calendar and the corporate change and the, and the boardroom agendas now, it's the fact of actually having to show purpose, to have an understandable set of values by which you're going to lead. And whether that's the impact that you'll have as an, on an organisation in the broader environment, in the sustainability of what you do, in the ethos of how you deal with the counterparties that work with your organisation, supply chains and everything else, or whether it's on the having now gained another letter on the on the DNI, but EDI, um, as, as a good friend of mine said to me the other day, you know, kind of DNI is an interesting one because you know D is being invited to the party, I is being invited to dance, and, and when you look at that, you look in the mission, vision, and values. A lot of businesses sound out about the diversity of workforce that they want, which mm. is great, but actually, are they being do they feel truly included within that organisation, and do they walk in as a as a, as a minority part of the culture of that business and feel equally welcome. And I think if you look at most businesses, the answer truthfully will be no. But actually, that's the truth that needs to come in. And that's a culture shift. That's the mission, vision and values within a corporation saying, why are we doing what we're doing? And actually being a little humble and a little with a bit of humility to actually just sit down and listen and yeah. not corporately speak all the time. And I want to just go on the flip side so he talks about corporates and and large incumbents who obviously can change through understanding what their their why their purpose is but if we take promising startup founders right so the 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 entrepreneurial 
uh, folk who you're talking about and um, ultimately would potentially join the company of entrepreneurs in, in one time or another. Um, what can they take away from this? Because a lot of there's a lot of overwhelming nature to starting your own, own business. And how can promising startup founders get some learnings from this to set them on the right path and not to not to waste too much time focusing on the wrong things. On top of that, also, if you could share with us any horror stories that you've seen when people don't uh, take on this this point of view that you're you're giving. Okay. Um, as you know, I mean, I, I, I do a fair bit of mentoring now around startups uh, and around well, both entrepreneurs and, oh, sorry, entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs, uh, those within corporations. And the biggest observation I would make in a failing in the way they're, they're often brought to the place to do what they do mm. is people get hyper-focused on solutions. And solutions are no good if you don't know what the problem is. Sure, yeah. And in that mission, vision, and value, you know, any entrepreneur who's, who's sitting out, anybody who's trying to bring an idea or a concept or a thought to something which is going to move a needle really does need to, to massively think about what is it that I'm trying to solve? What is the problem that's going to be? Because again, if you can understand what the problem is, you can actually put the solution in that creates the emotional connection with the person with the problem and you're more likely to sell them, sell to them. And you, you also build a, a bigger trustworthiness with them, which is massively vital when you're, you're starting up because you're, you're known to no one. So you, you really are on you know, base one, uh, which is why, you know, I, I like some of the, the, yeah, the, obviously the Simon Sinek, why you can read much of yeah. what I'm talking about today within his advocations, but also things like the lean startups, you know, go and experiment, go and talk to people, communicate, you know, kind of communitize what you're doing to, to, to build traction and audience, because that's what, what, what brings people together. Crowdfunding does that, that's an extraordinary way as well. Mm. So that's the biggest thing that I, I try to take into the work I do with, with startups and, and emerge ups is, is really kind of get the essence well great so you know you're making yellow doors but why does the world need another yellow door maker why are you mm. what is it you're going to add to it what is it you think you're bringing as a value and and i and i'm afraid to say in you know commerce and academia there's too little emphasis put on that um yeah. you know, it's all it all seems to be process driven right and no, exactly uh, that boxing you know, and it, solution it, sake yeah yeah and and, and and you know and again go back to my kind of you know pyramid of of, of hierarchy you know, all of the process is all of the transaction. That's all of the stuff you're going to do to make it work. But if you don't know what it is, that the, the one thing at the top of it that I'm getting out of bed to do, then you're, you're never going to be quite in that right place. And that, where that's important to a startup is obviously startups by necessity think about today and tomorrow. Yeah. When you talk about entrepreneurs and what entrepreneurs do, they think about today, tomorrow, someday, and a North Star. Mm. So the someday is arriving at a destination. And if you know what that destination is, albeit dotted lines, you can map that back to where you are today. And you'll always then have a sight as you go forward from that point. And if the business, as all businesses do, they sway off one way or another because the wants of a customer or they see an opportunity, but you've still got that final mission. Mm. Where am I taking this business? And if you can, if you can always hold on to that, you, you create a really strong facet of your brand which is you know the sincerity and the authenticity of your your vision and your purpose that you want to want to take forward mm. I mean, it, it's too tough to think of examples of of those that, that have done it long long time but again i would look the john lewis partnership i, I think you know they've 
even now still cling on to you know the, 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 the employee owned and the society mm. there things like the cooperative society in my world nfu national farmers union their, their insurance business sits out virgin group wherever that goes now that always still feels like there's a bit of branson in there somewhere yeah know, exactly in there so yeah so they're, they're organizations that have, have navigated that well and that always stand out case studies horror stories is a tough one and I, I, i'm loath to get too too involved in that because you know it, it, the real horror story is just when you see a failure and you you see a failure out of something that sort of should have succeeded and it should have succeeded because it should have thought a little bit more about um, what it what it does um, and again I will put a plug out for another book which I know I, I talked to you about um, Disciplined Entrepreneurship Bill Alt I think his name is that, that wrote it fabulous book because it takes you on a pathway of 24 points to to deliver a business, what um, London Business School use uh, in, in their, their Faculty of Entrepreneurship. Really good book because it just keeps you grounded, keeps you on a pathway and keeps you thinking about where you're going. So follow those kind of things and you avoid the horror stories. Mm. I, I, You know, you did mention this about, to put one up. I couldn't, the only one I could think of, and it, and it was so upsetting because it, it goes back to that bit about a corporation losing the, the value of the mission that they want to do. And probably a lot of people on this call too young to, to remember Ratner's and Gerald Ratner, who basically, you know, for having run a successful jewellery business for generations, or, you know, for a long time, sort of generations, but for a long time, just made this bizarre statement that it just made cheap trinkets and junk for people. And suddenly the business failed and folded within months. And that was just the overlying arrogance of an individual that had kind of, to my opinion, sorry, I'm going to be careful, but, you know, arrogance. Yeah, all opinions, <laughs> All opinion. No, that's right. Yeah, it's just because Mr. Ratner is listening, but but you know, there's somebody who kind of lost sight of what his purpose was. Why, sure. why, am, I, why am I doing what I'm doing? And, and just treated his customers like fools, you know, and, and got found out. And you know, and there are other examples that would go along there. So, so I think it's and again another old adage. You know, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. So, go back to that north star. Go back to that one thing. Go back to that purpose. Go back to the mission, the vision. What what is that? That one thing that's going to do me. Never stray away from that. And if you do stray away from it, know why you're straying away from it and make a conscious decision to re-engage elsewhere absolutely yeah this this the north star um that you mentioned this big picture thinking thinking more than short term it's it's so simple but so powerful right uh you know in my work as well we see lots of individuals who are who are only focused on one two years but actually you want to be focusing three five plus years mm. for any any tangible success and that also comes into what you're talking about with with mission vision values um I don't, I don't like, if you don't mind i might put one oh sorry oh, 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 as, as is typical i've got someone trying to phone me now <laughs> there we go that's hopefully gone um the in a really important way in that conversation with startups you know startups require cash cash mm. comes from investors investors invest because they also believe in what's going on so if an investor is going to see the sincerity, the authenticity, the believability and the trustworthiness of the person, they're more likely to invest with them. And actually, the certainty bit comes from things like North Star, comes from that mission and values, because the investor can understand it. And if he invests, you know you've got an aligned investor. You've got somebody yeah. who is actually believing what you're doing. So as long as you're being honest about what that purpose is, you hopefully have made a good long-term friend. Yeah, you know, if you're dishonest about it, then you'll get found out. And you kind of get what you deserve, and then you become the horror story that you're, you're referring to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and we are we are running out of time quickly, but um, I want to 
give you an opportunity and a chance to talk about the company of entrepreneurs, right? There's some great work going on in the company of entrepreneurs. And I kind of got involved as a as an outsider looking in and following with with your journey, Mark, in the company. Could you just explain a little bit about who you are as a collective and and what you're out there to do, but also the collective mindset that you have and, and types of behaviors that you'll bring into the table when you're joining the company yeah sure sure um well just quickly and just you know, slightly repeat what i said at, at the outset you know we, we navigate in the, the historic livery movement the livery movement are effectively 112 trading guilds that, that historically um through the city of london's ordinances were able to buy their freedom which is why they're all called freeman and all, all the old language that goes on you know the the the, the livery movement is epicentric to the good governance of the city. So in a, in a very direct way, um, it, it is responsible for finding and appointing the, the aldermen's, the sheriffs, and then the Lord Mayors going in London, who clearly represent the, the good finances of, of the city of London. So the guilds, us, us being no different, um, we exist to serve our craft, to promote our craft, in our case, entrepreneurship, to work on behalf of the city of London, because it is a city of London thing primarily. So we support the Lord Mayor and all his aspirations and you know, urge people that think he's just the Lord Mayor show and a, and a man in fancy clothing, go and see the work that the Lord Mayor does on behalf of the city of London globally uh, to, to really pull the pull the skin up on it and see see for themselves. And we we want we want to to, to use our ability with the craft to bring the next generation of, of entrepreneurs in. And that will fall into to two broad halves you know just fostering good entrepreneurship so we'll, we'll work with organizations corporations and academia and schools um to um sorry academia being tertiary academia or vocational and then secondary schools to actually show the benefits of entrepreneurship that it's not all dragon's den and the apprentice that yeah. it's, a, it's a whole different world that sits out there and through a charitable trust that we and every other livery company has their own charitable trust we do that very specifically in underserved communities so we use our capabilities to help hopefully improve social mobility and social innovation that, that goes on. So we, that's what defines us. That's the work that, that we do. Mm. The, the so-called Freeman, the members of which we've got just shy of 200 now, um, they are all in their field successful entrepreneurs, people that come with a track record of, of what they've done. And the collective mind, the Borg-like mind, you put it in there, was um, I spent much of my life feeling like an outsider, as somebody who thinks slightly differently than others. And it was when I walked through the doors of the entrepreneurs for the first time I realised I wasn't. I was just mixing with a different crowd. Yeah. And, and I, I had to write these down because I give it a lot of thought that, you know, that there is an entrepreneur's mindset and, you know, there are some academia and psychological studies on it. But in my head, what, what defines the kind of entrepreneurs I come across is all of us have a, an almost kind of childlike curiosity, you know, it's like, keep it, why, why, why? <laughs> Never accepting the status quo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just an absolute positivity. I mean, you, you just don't find negative entrepreneurs. And if they're on that spectrum, they're just less positive. They're not actually negative. You know, so mm -hmm. um, a, a, an ability, just an innate ability to see solutions where others see problems. So that goes back to answering questions so again that's what i listen for when i when i talk to folks and i mentor so you know if 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 if, if you can have a great idea great but you've got to solve something and we're very good at seeing what's the insoluble and making it solvable and i think the biggest thing is just 
a really adaptive mind that can just multitask because I mean, running a business is you know, nine, 10 dozen bits of critical infrastructure and you've got to make sure you're all working at the same time. So I always talk about plate spinning. You know, yeah. You know, awesome. can manage to keep all those plates, you know, really going. Um, you, you did ask me a question. Did I think it, is it nature or nurture? Um, yeah. That's something that it, 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 it yeah. can be nurtured, but again, you know, I just put down some different thinking that if people want, to, 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 to learn it they've got to do and it really does start with listen but again another old adage that got taught to me you know, when I listen I learn everything when I speak I learn nothing so you'll find a good entrepreneur will really listen and really listen so just take stuff in soak it up don't be presumptive about what's going on just let stuff get into your head just always think about what the art of possible is you know we, we're innovators we spend most of our professional time with each other thinking and helping others innovate so it's too much thinking I'm, not enough doing yeah, it's, knocking, yeah, <laughs> it's knocking walls down rather than building them around yeah. also yeah. doing that and actually the final one which i think is the most important bit is is just go into these things with a a, a head of objectivity and understanding and research not subjectivity prejudice and personal preference you know, if I had a pound yeah. for a time, every person, you know, would turn around and say, yeah, well, that's a great idea. But my son, I was talking to him and he doesn't like that. Well, yeah. that's really great. But I'm not talking to your son. I'm talking <laughs> to you and I'm talking about a business. You know what I mean? You get that yeah. singular okay. view. And I, I think that's the biggest barrier. It slightly goes back to the corporate comments we were having earlier. So yeah. there, there's my, my definitions around that, Dan. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's really powerful. Um, unfortunately, we have run out of time for today. And, um, you know, I would love to have you back uh to speak more about the entrepreneur's mindset because i don't think we got too deep into that right now but i think that mission and vision is is a great way to start this this uh chat and this series um also how are people going to find you mark how are you contactable how can people reach out to you if uh they want to know more about mission and vision or even ask you for some more insight how do they get in touch well LinkedIn, so yeah. easily found on there. There aren't too many Mark Cuxleys, you'd be pleased to know. So uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll you'll see me on there um, with a bit, a bit nice corporate black and white picture. So through LinkedIn, I, you you have my details, Dan. So you know by all means um, you can share my email address if you if you wish. Um, and likewise, if people want to find out a bit more about the company of entrepreneurs. Uh, can contact me. Um, I should have said actually introducing it. I'm very, very proud that I'm on route to be its master in the end of 23. So I can actually say next year now. So, yeah. um, so it's, a, it's a very deep part of my life. Um, take it very seriously. So they can contact me directly about that. Or our website is the is entrepreneurscompany.org. I don't right. think it's .org.uk, but it's one or the other. But, but again, there's only one company of entrepreneurs. And there is only one. Well, actually, there's not. There's one in York as well. So you need one in York there. as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guilds aren't exclusive to London, but let's not start that conversation. <laughs> but, uh, but no, no. It, 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 at the end, we have we have a public yeah. LinkedIn page, so if people want to go find out what we're doing. But uh, yeah, I'll post it all below the the video. And um, really great to have you on, Mark. Um, oh, sorry, enjoyed it, Ben. Thank you.